0: this is reset i'm sasha ann simons it's friday at noon so it's time for our weekly news recap where we take a deep dive into the biggest state and local stories
1: Governor J.B. Pritzker and his Republican challenger, Darren Bailey, facing
0: off for the final time before Election Day.
2: I'm running to restore hope to all
3: the good people in Illinois. I've done my job so working families can do theirs.
2: Bailey reporting that after the debate, he received a $2 million donation from Republican megadonor Richard Uline. I'm very pleased about the progress that we've made in our state. Friends, life is worse today than it's ever been in Illinois.
0: We've got a lot to talk about. Our panel today is Tina Spandellis, Chief Political Reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Welcome back, Tina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Also here, Jacoby Cochran, host of CityCast Chicago. That's a daily podcast and newsletter about all things Chicago. Great to see you again.
3: Hey, I'm excited to be back.
0: And we've got Ray Long, investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Ray is also the author of The House that Madigan Built, the record run of Illinois' Velvet Hammer. Good to have you here.
2: Hey, always good to be here. Thank you, Sasha.
0: (laughs) Plus, if you are online right now, a reminder that we are on Facebook. We're on YouTube. You can check it out either now or later at your own convenience. So I'm going to start with you, Tina. The midterm election, that's just over two weeks away. My gosh, we're getting so close. The candidates for governor, they had their final debate this week on Tuesday. What were the highlights?
1: The highlights were both were very prepared. If you saw that first one, you could see uh, Bailey was maybe a little bit more prepared than Pritzker, which was surprising to some. Um, Bailey called Pritzker too extreme. Uh, I'm sorry, Pritzker called Bailey too extreme, and Bailey said that that Pritzker's too woke. So you got both sides of the coin. It was very fast-paced. There were a lot of interjections from Bailey. There was a, like, shushing from the moderator, little fights. You could tell the types of issues that that kind of, you know, made them upset. Um, and yes, yeah, it's, it's a good overview for voters who are maybe unsure, but it seems to be that there are uh, just, just, just those two sides far right, far left. Yeah, and not a lot in the middle.
0: Great overview. And we're going to dig into some of those moments that you you alluded to there. But I'm burning question for me, folks. Anyone feel like they learned something new about either candidate at the debate? I'm looking at you, Jacoby and Ray.
3: No, I mean, they ended with appreciation, one for, you know, marrying their high school sweetheart. The other, Bailey said, you know, take me shoe shopping. And so they, they tried <laughs> to find some way to like give some props to the other one, but I didn't, right? Prince, Governor Pritzker has been invested in this message of Darren Bailey both, you know, for months and months, but. Financially as well, he actually put money into showcasing to Illinois just how extreme he feels like he is. And so in, in many respects, both feel like they know who their opponent is. They've got their talking points ready. Uh, and they're, they're, they're going to stick pretty closely to the script.
2: Yeah. What do you uh, think, Ray? Well, I, you know. Pritzker put in tens of millions of dollars to back Bailey's campaign Mm -hmm. so he could get the candidate that he wanted. So he's got the candidate he wanted. It's Pritzker's to lose right now. What I took out of the debate is that nobody really had a knockout punch. And so I would agree that the most illuminating thing was, uh, you know, that Darren Bailey actually realizes that he needs better suits.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he's also um, just kind of tamping down his positions from the primary. I asked the governor a question after the Debate about, are you seeing a primary Bailey and a general election Bailey? And you 100 percent are because he does not want to talk about abortion. He does Mm -hmm. not want to talk about Trump. That's true. That's the thing that people probably learned at that debate.
0: So uh, Pritzker portrayed Bailey as an extremist, as you mentioned, uh, Tina. He called him a, quote, threat to democracy. He repeatedly tried to link Bailey to Trump. Let's just listen to one example.
3: I want to point out that Darren Bailey has surrounded himself with racist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic people and organizations, including chasing after the chief among them, Donald Trump.
0: So he was asked, Bailey was asked repeatedly whether he would support Donald Trump if he ran for president. What did he say?
1: He basically said, like, we don't know who's running. You know, I'm not going to comment on that. Skated
0: around that That question. Not
1: the same as what you saw a couple months
3: ago. Yeah. Yeah. He was begging for that that nomination on all, all fours, practically. At one point, now <laughs> it seems like he he's back on the fence, kind of kind of biding his time. But as we said, that was always the strategy.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think Jacoby that voters are actually swayed by these debates?
3: No, I think voters have made their dis- their minds up already. Um, and it's and pretty I, late. Yeah, I just I want people who maybe feel disillusioned by this process, who think as as Ray said that Pritzker's got it in the bag. It's easy to turn away. But a a lot of these efforts that Bailey and and the far right are pushing for, they're both on the ballot and off the ballot. And so a lot of these measures are picking up steam, um, you know, whether we're talking about anti-inclusive education or book bans or, you know, still trying to to roll back health care for women. And so, you know, we got to pay attention to to this race, but but also recognize that the uh, what they believe in goes uh, much further down the the line. Mm
0: -hmm. And Ray, uh, Darren Bailey also portrayed Governor Pritzker as an extremist. Let's listen to what he had to say.
3: Chicago is the nightmare
2: called Pritzkerville, and it's still th- two weeks from Halloween. That <laughs> did not really uh. do anything but hit with a thud. I didn't think uh, it sounded anything more than something that he had practiced on and couldn't wait to get in. He and, thought ate. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I think what's also interesting here, uh, to pick up on, on what Jacoby was saying, is that there is this... um line of belief in some of the polls, some of the national polls that that suggest that Republicans are now starting, independents are now starting to lean toward Republicans, which is an interesting factor in other states. I I don't think it'll be enough to create a wave for Bailey in Illinois, of course, but I do think that uh, more people are starting to tune in.
0: Well, Darren Bailey is also trying to tie Pritzker to embattled former House Speaker Mike Madigan. You know, he had new charges brought against him last week. Tell us how that's impacting Democrats right now.
2: Well, Democrats uh, who love to take Madigan's cash and love to have his backing over the years are now acting like Madigan who? I mean, you, you know, what? what is this? Uh, who is this guy? But uh, I didn't have anything to do with it, even though their bank accounts may say otherwise. And so um, they have to still deal with this madigan baggage Uh, republicans believe that that is an albatross that they can hang around the neck of any opponent and take some votes away from them and because of the negative ads that are out there now a lot of people think they can make hay out of it and they're trying real hard
0: and they just seem tina to just have wildly different perspectives on the state of our state Uh, Bailey and Pritzker. Yeah, they do.
1: They do. And but it's also uh, as an incumbent, Pritzker has to defend what he's done. It's pretty easy to hit an incumbent. There's always something you can point out that they've done wrong. And that's something that Bailey did well during that debate, talking about veterans who died of COVID. I mean, everyone cares about that. You know, that's that's a family member. So he was able to kind of get those good hits on Mm -hmm. an incumbent.
0: This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we are going behind the headlines on the weekly news recap with Tina Spondelis of the Chicago Sun-Times, Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune, and Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago. A reminder, you can watch us do this weekly news recap live on the WBEZ Facebook as well as the YouTube pages. You can also chat me in the chat box, and I might just read your questions or your comments on these stories on air. So sticking with you, Tina, the, the same day as the uh, debate, Republican candidate Darren Bailey got his biggest campaign donation. From
1: whom? Mr. Dick Uline, his of course. best friend. Um, he did get $2 million. And a lot of money. there was an email that went out before the debate saying that he was going to match dollars up to $2 million to Bailey supporters. So he's given about um, $4 million, I believe. I'm sorry, there's a there's a super PAC that he's given $42 million to, okay. and this year um, he's given $12 million total primary and general to Bailey. So he's been giving more money to the super PAC, which we are going to be stuck with for months because they will be running <laughs> ads after the general election right. about the mayoral election. We've already seen those. Lori Lightfoot is definitely getting hit by the super PAC. So we will see this for months to come.
0: Well, you know, uh, Dick Uline. Doesn't just give to Illinois candidates, right? He's, he's spreading these donations across the country. So let's talk about that. The candidates he's choosing to support, they have something in common.
1: Yes, they do. Um, so I did a story about that. that he gave more than six million dollars to Republicans who did not vote to certify the election and also separately election deniers. And so if you like if you look at the numbers, it's about nine of every ten dollars of money that he's given to congressional candidates fit into this category. Um, I did reach out to his person, his spokesperson. They were going to maybe say something. Then they didn't. So I got a no comment. Um, but if you just look at the numbers, you see. What do the numbers suggest? The numbers suggest that he supports election denying candidates.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you surprised at all, Jacoby, by uh, how many election denier candidates are on the ballot nationally?
3: No, not at all. you
0: got the Republican candidate for for governor in Arizona, mm -hmm. uh, candidates running for um, secretary of state in uh, New Mexico, Arizona as well, Nevada.
3: No No, surprises. I'm not shocked. I think one thing that, you know, was mentioned earlier is how people change from the primary to the general. But what the primary consistently showcases is there is a base for this information, this misinformation. There's a base who supports anti-vax rhetoric. There's a base who supports, you know, that the election was stolen. There's a base for whom all of these uh, fallacies they hit for, that this is what they get up for. Mm. They share this in their, their friend groups and their family groups. These are the discussions they'll be having at the holiday. Uh, and, and when you look at politicians as, as, you know, people who are playing the game, essentially, I mean, people aren't going to leave votes on the table. And, and if that requires radical views, then, then people are clearly willing to participate in them and then walk them back in some cases like like Bailey.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Ray, following up on all that, can you just shed some light for us on, on what Illinois Republicans are calling, quote, election integrity efforts?
2: Yeah, there's a, a lot of effort here by um, the GOP hierarchy, including Bailey and Don Tracy, the, the chair of the GOP uh, party, what uh they're shooting for is to try to uh you know make people believe that that uh, there are big amounts of fraud out there that the, that the fraud uh goes back to the days of the cemetery voting that we used to hear here in Chicago mm-hmm. and that it's still present well uh Rick Pearson uh did a great story on that for us and he uh, quoted uh Matt Dietrich the State Board of Elections spokesman who's on top of this and a straight shooter, and he said there's no evidence of it. So, uh, the idea is to stir the pot and to create doubt. It comes out of the Trump, uh, Roger Stone playbook to try to uh, talk about how we're winning when we're actually losing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is just one more way they're trying to put people around the state who can watch the polls and who are under that same belief.
0: Before we wrap this section of the, the recap, Tina, any other statewide races make news this week?
1: Um, I'm not sure. Well, we did have today, which you just heard that Obama endorsed Pritzker just now in a yeah. nice, very nice ad, 30 second ad that's going to be airing on statewide starting tonight. And he did vote on Monday. That's right. With Michelle.
0: Yeah, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit later. Um, Ray, Jacoby, have you seen anything notable going on in any of the races?
3: I mean, Attorney General Tom DeVore continues to, he, how many times did he sue? Throughout the pandemic yeah. to ban masks, to ban vaccines, it continues to spread misinformation across social media, which I think is a whole nother conversation of these companies being held accountable for the spread of this misinformation. But again, regardless of if DeVore wins or not, the, the the amount of money that were behind these fringe thoughts, right? I, I saw something in the Tribune earlier that said like election deniers, like you can point back to the fifties and the sixties where these conspiracy theories were, were fraught but now you're seeing millions of dollars being invested behind the perpetrators of these mm. these lies and these falsehoods and that is uh not potentially it it's more dangerous than ever before so I tend not to be about hyperbole right but it, it really is at a at a you know
2: boiling point
0: what's on your radar ray
2: I can pick up on that um, Tom DeVore put out a tweet this week that he said uh that he attached a, a Tribune headline to and it was the headline was in the month since COVID-19 boosters, the most latest round that we're supposed to be taking, Yeah, uh, only 10.5% of eligible Illinoisans have gotten them. So that suggests there's a fatigue. That's what the the doctors are saying, hey, not everybody's tuned into that. Mm-hmm. I've gotten already three or four, yeah. you know. Yeah. and There's definitely a push to try to get
0: folks to, to get the shot.
2: Tom, Tom DeVore put out a tweet that said the people aren't fooled any longer. You now see how small of a segment of society buys into J-Bub's nonsense, meaning J.B. Pritzker. And so he's trying to take some fact and twist it through Uh, uh, lens that is uh, not on target and doesn't fit the facts. Mm -hmm. And so um, that just uh, goes to show that there are just reams of misinformation out there and it's an attack on the truth and we have to stand for the truth reams and you of have
0: misinformation to... and billions of dollars yes yes <laughs> and,
2: and people can uh, proliferate it through twitter too so it's a, it's really something that you have to pay attention to
0: let's jump right back into those headlines mayoral challenger, Sophia King, unveils her plan to reverse a spike in violent crime. Safety is obviously Chicago's biggest challenge. It's this mayor's biggest failure, and it will be my number one priority.
2: 18th Ward Alderman Derek Curtis accidentally shot himself in the wrist while cleaning his gun. Cook County Treasurer Maria Pappas and her team want to stop investors from taking advantage of an Illinois law that
1: she says is draining tens of millions of dollars every year away from
2: minority communities.
0: All right, over to you, Ray. This week, two former investigative reporters for the Tribune, they made headlines for their work at the Cook County Treasurer's Office. Fill us in.
2: Yeah, it's really a remarkable thing. Uh, Maria Pappas has hired Todd Leidy and Hal Dardick, um, and she has turned them loose on her office, basically, and she had them focus on something uh, that has the arcane name of sales in air, and what that basically... Sales and error? Yeah. What is that, Ray? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Can you thank explain you it so to us? Thank you so much. I've been working on this uh, for my PhD. You've got your term paper yeah, here. Yeah. You went so last night. <laughs> well, basically, in theory, okay, in theory, and let me just uh, cite the article here that was done in the Trib. T- tax sales are supposed to be beneficial, right? And governments are supposed to get money back from these tax sales, but people don't pay their taxes others look to invest in it and this has become a kind of cottage industry among people who are not really doing what the law should be doing which is to help government get their money from the from the tax rolls and what is happening is uh, big investors including uh, private equity firms and hedge funds are buying up uh, property that properties that are delinquent on their taxes mm-hmm. and then uh, when the people who owe the taxes don't pay for a while they owe interest and then basically a lot of these investors then scoop up the interest and and then uh, the people pay their their overall tax bill and they get their property back but it's turned into a major snafu and what has happened is that uh, they've figured out how to wiggle out of some of these purchases and um, there are hundreds of millions over the last seven years that have uh, not gone to local property to uh, local property tax uh, entities mm-hmm. like your school like your local government like your libraries like your fire departments and so Pappas is now calling for some reforms that could shore that up so that there's less leakage from the property tax bills.
0: Boy, that was complicated. So tax (laughs) buyers, they can get out of a property tax purchase for clerical errors too? Like, So your street name is misspelled, for instance? Yes,
2: yes, yes. They've tried to do that and tried to uh, wiggle out, and there have been numerous examples of how they've been able to do that so that they don't uh, have to... Get stuck with a property, et cetera.
0: Yeah, but one thing I'm interested in with this story is is, is just that that idea of investigative reporters being hired by government yeah. officials to do work yeah. like this. Is that common for for journalists to, to do that? Well, I, that think,
2: I think I uh, think journalism is going through this uh, big change right now. Where uh, in the Tribune's case, we we're bought by a hedge fund, and uh, there were opportunities to leave or opportunities to go to better pay. And uh, there, in some cases, some uh, tr- tribune reporters have taken buyouts. I can't remember if Todd and, and Hal did, but the reality is that they uh, – Used their incredible skills I miss them every day and uh, they were able to get an inside look that reporters would never get mm-hmm. if they were going up to any public uh, office and trying to get a, a deep dive and they were able to do a super deep dive because they had the cooperation of the office
0: yeah uh, Jacoby and Tina I mean newsroom employment has actually declined by more than a quarter Since 2008, if you can believe that, that's numbers from uh, the Pew Research Center. And I wonder if you think that we'll see this sort of thing happening where, where journalists are just applying their skills to other jobs moving forward.
3: I mean, there definitely seems like opportunities, even just in my short time getting on this side of the, the glass of Chicago's media landscape. True, yeah. You've seen, I've already seen people move from organizations, move out of journalism. Um, and so people want to feel valued. They want to feel like their work is, you know, not simply for a headline that someone might skip over, a headline that they themselves may not have even written. Um And, and so yeah. I know, you know, pe- people are looking for opportunities. Like my man, Evan Moore, uh, would tell me. You know, I'm I'm trying to check that bag too. Yeah.
0: What do you think, Tina? What have you been seeing around you?
1: Well, I do think just like a lot of professions, the pandemic changed a lot of the journalism landscape. People did leave their jobs. I did. I came back to my old job very happy, (laughs) very happily. So people kind of like took a look at their life to see like, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be with? I like have a coworker tell me they appreciate me once a week. This is like a real story. So, I mean, you go to a workplace where you feel appreciated. So you might see people jumping around to find that.
0: This is Reset. We are going behind the headlines on the weekly news recap with Tina Vandellis of the Chicago Sun-Times, Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune, and Jacoby Cochran of CityCast Chicago. A reminder, you can watch us on the WBEZ Facebook and YouTube, and you can also talk to us right now in the YouTube chat box. And I just may read your comments on the air, like what Shamrock Bloom had to say. Jacoby is awesome.
3: Thank you. <laughs> You've, got I it. You've got a fan. You've got a fan. And so I think much.
0: people are loving my little scarf. My WBEZ scarf. So you know, which yeah, is the you. box
3: that those are sitting in in the back. I know they are around. Don't blame <laughs> <laughs> no, me. This was made for me. No, come Sorry. On.
0: No me. more left. Uh, so <laughs> Tina, let's go to an all Aldermanic Roundup. Uh, I want to start with mayoral candidate candidate Sophia King, uh, yeah. who represents the Fourth Ward on the city's south side. She laid out her crime-fighting strategies this week. What in the world is she proposing?
1: So she is one of eight people so far running. Uh, people are still getting petitions. I I live in Logan Square. The farmer's market has everyone if you want to sign petitions. Some <laughs> candidates are struggling to get them. Um, but so her plan is a little different than what Mayor Lightfoot has done so far. And she wants to bring out a thousand retired Chicago police officers. She wants to use these crime fighting drones to get people in police chases. They would identify the location and then people, the cops would come and get them. The fact I that you said that without a smile breaking you, I, out I did I'm like quote. I'm like, I she's, she's not going to just go <laughs> slide over crime, uh, crime fighting, fighting, fighting drones. drones. <laughs> Um, and also adding uh two hundred detectives, so, as I said, this is different than what Lightfoot has done. um, she also wants to change the work week as we've seen there have been all these horrible you know cop suicides, medical issues, all sorts of things happening in the past couple of years. So there's a big focus on how many hours should these police work. Hers is actually a lot like longer than the mayor's. She wants uh ten hour days, four days a week, and the regular what is right now is three eight hour shifts, ten so, hour days,
0: four days a week,
1: That's right, just showing that we need people. Crime fighting is what she's trying to show. (laughs) Why the the fists? (laughs) I don't know. It was supposed to be a (laughs) quote. For the crime fighting. (laughs) For the
0: video. Thoughts, gentlemen?
3: Um, One that I saw in there that really caught my attention was I believe not only are they offering signing bonuses, but a $10,000 down payment if you're a first time home buyer. I mean, it seems like we got innovative strategies for bringing people to come work for city institutions. I feel like there are millions of Chicagoans who might be more interested in city jobs. You know, CTA is trying to hire. Um, you know, the Chicago Park District and pools are trying to hire. Uh, they, they, they want more teachers to, to stay in the city. You know, maybe yeah. start using some of these strategies that y'all using for CPD because I'm hearing crime fighting strategies that are co- going to come through the police force. But then at the same time, Sophia King is using her $100,000 micro grant to invest in private security in her ward, mm-hmm. which to me communicates that, you know, police do not keep us safe. So we're moving to alternative methods. So when both are getting money, it, it kind of feels like we're kind of just, you know, yeah. tossing money Well, off the well side you of the mentioned road.
0: that, that private security in, in Bronzeville there. Mm-hmm. Give us some more detail there, Jacoby.
3: Uh, so the plan is that a, a neighborhood group is coming together with a, a private security group in the, Um, So the office will collaborate with ex-cons for community and social change and Halo Security Group. Sophia King is going to use the $100,000 micro grant that all the older people were given to use at their own discretion to Mm -hmm. invest in private security. Now, let me say this straight up. I understand that, you know, communities from Logan Square to Bronzeville to to, to Lakeview, everyone um has been, you know, concerned about public safety. You know, like, what are ways that we can uh invest to keep our communities thriving, to feel safe as we walk up and down the street? And private security is one of the first things that people reach for. My question is, well, if we know that we need to invest in alternative methods to policing, How are we also looking at a budget that sees policing financing going up? How are the strategies for, uh, you know, improving public safety, continuing to invest in, you know, carceral models of safety, but at the same time saying, well, communities need to be responsible for keeping themselves in a way that isn't necessarily community policing, but private security. Mm -hmm. And and that concerns me because when you, you know, when you're somebody who lives between Hyde Park, who finds themselves on 47th Street you know, I'm already worried about being profiled by the people for whom my tax dollars fund, aka the police, but this micro grant is also my tax dollars. And so I'm now potentially yeah. going to be profiled by private security and my neighbors inside of my neighborhood. And so I don't see how I, as a citizen moving to Chicago, benefit this, uh, from this on, on a daily basis. Such
0: a good point. Jumping to our friends over at YouTube. Angela says, you know, seeing police all over the place makes me more nervous. Police themselves seem plenty violent uh and she also says in in regard to uh, sophia king's plan crime fighting drones sounds like they have their own moral compass and agenda
3: yeah that sounds hmm. like uh, the there's plot also some from privacy far from issues home. there
2: too huge don't privacy don't issues
1: drones.
0: yeah no i i hear that folks are sounding off here on youtube shamrock says we need to invest in education not private security in neighborhoods that can afford it yep. thoughts ray
2: well it's a t- it's a tough tough issue that uh many, many mayors have wrestled with, obviously. And we've seen so many issues here that have grown in proportion under the Lightfoot administration. And uh, it's also happening around the country. But when it, it also strikes me that another piece of this equation may be to look at the private security um, and whether those are cops who are working extra time Mm -hmm. and then they're Mm -hmm. spreading themselves thin and then they could be on a short uh, fuse as a result of that. So it's hard to say, hey, you can take this cap job and then you can also be a private security person. Maybe there would be even more people doing that if they had three days off a week.
0: Mm. Shamrock Bloom says crime fighting drones wouldn't prevent the killing of Adam Toledo by a Chicago police officer. I don't get it.
2: That's a tough one. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, Jacoby, uh, over to 42nd Ward Alderman Brendan Riley, who warned about the possibility of fraud in the city's gas and uh, venture card giveaway. What happened there? What did he say?
3: You know, I, I definitely took this warning with a grain of salt. You know, for people who may not be familiar, back in April, city council voted pretty close, 26 to 23, to pass the, the gas giveaway and venture car giveaway. I actually believe Sophia King was the only person who wasn't able to vote because she had COVID-19 at the time. Oh, okay. Um, so just an interesting link there. But even then, Alderman Riley was not one of the people who voted for this, uh, you know, but practically labeling it a giveaway. And so we saw 50,000 gas cards, 100,000 venture cards given out. And now Riley came back during the city council budget hearing in which the, the inspector general was attending and said, we should maybe investigate this from fraud because someone in my ward came up and said they were able to, to use this at a Walgreens um, to get 50 or 60 extra dollars. Or, you know, they were able to load more on a venture card, And I'm going to just say it. I don't care that people who need money for transportation were able to get a couple extra bucks for some extra items. And, and I think, Riley, drawing attention to this definitely means that people who have otherwise maybe discarded those cars, thrown them in the trash, are probably rifling through their junk drawer right now, trying to see <laughs> then they go take that car to get a little extra 50 or $60. And so we know that the the people who ultimately got these were the most vulnerable people in our city, the people who needed um, extra cash at a time in which, you know, they they couldn't sit in those long Willie Wilson lines, right, Yeah. for gas and groceries. And so I'm not really with, you know, kind of painting a broad strokes picture of the people who receive them as potential perpetrators of fraud. I I don't I don't think it helps to to uplift the most vulnerable amongst us.
0: Well, sticking with you, I want to head to the southwest side. Uh, 18th Ward Alderman Derek Curtis also made news this week. What are the details there?
3: Uh, interestingly enough, Derek Curtis during the commit, uh, during committee did not vote for the gas giveaway until his southwest side neighborhoods were included in it. So when it got to the full council, he did vote for it. Well, he was in the news this week, unfortunately, uh, because uh, according to his statement, the alderman was helping a neighbor clean and repair a small gun that was was malfunctioning at the range. And while reassembling the gun, it went off and Curtis was allegedly hit in the wrist. Uh, He was taken to the hospital and is in good condition. Um,
0: So he shot himself in the hand.
3: That is what he is saying. Uh, Accidental deaths cost hundreds, maybe even thousands of lives every single year across the nation. And so I don't want to, um, you know, take this. Uh, In any joking matter, but I do want to say in a way that I hope doesn't sound like I'm I'm blaming a victim is I don't know that much about guns. But having one in the chamber as you're reassembling a gun, you know, that was malfunctioning. Um, And again, I'm not sure what angle the gun was being held. To it. it just seems like as somebody who was uh, a licensed, somebody who is licensed to teach concealed carry, mm-hmm. uh, that there, there may have been some ways to prevent this. Um, and so I just hope that rather than becoming a meme on the Internet, it is another lesson for people who choose to own guns in their home, who choose to come in contact with guns, uh, that that safety and proper usage has to be at the the forefront. utmost yeah. um, uh, on your mind. And so, again, to, to Curtis, to to his family members, I'm sure, who are shaken by this, you know, I, I wish him a speedy recovery. Uh, Any idea recovery. how he's doing? Um, I do not know. From the statement, it did look like he wanted to push the attention um, away from the incident to also focus gotcha. on some of um, the, the policies that he stands on, particularly uh, gun prevention. Again, uh, this situation, I fear, is is rife for kind of making its way through the Twitterverse and coming back out um, um you know, a lot less serious. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hope people see it as a, a moment of caution. Yeah. Well,
2: speaking of serious, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. Exactly. Oh, of course. And, and <laughs> exactly. so you got to, you know, yeah. you got to thank God that it wasn't worse than mm-hmm. that. And that's what we see with all, a lot of these incidents that you talk about where accidental deaths become tragedies.
0: Folks on YouTube saying we need, we need gun safety legislation.
2: We do. I don't know exactly
3: how gun legislation would have helped helped in his, you know, neighborhood in his friend's home putting together a gun. But we we definitely need to to, to mandate that people are at least putting themselves in the best positions possible.
0: Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, even more news happened. So back over to you, Jacoby. I want to dive into the Cook County Guaranteed Income Program because tonight is the deadline eleven yes. fifty nine p.m. to apply. More than two hundred thousand people so far have applied. They're only. 3,250 spots. Remind us of the basics of this program and how it's going to work.
3: Yeah, people who meet a certain income threshold uh, we'll be able to a- apply for this money and through the lottery system, like you said, about 3,200 will be selected to get $500 a month, no strings attached for the next two years, which I want to remind people is different from the Chicago Guarantee Income Pilot Program, which selected about 5,000 people to get $500 a month for the next year. Uh, so there are two separate programs, which when they were announced, kind of had that like political vibe to it. Like Lori Lightfoot was like, this is going to be the biggest ever. And Tony Preckwinkle came out and was oh, like, This is the biggest mean, ever. This, this <laughs> Is the biggest it's ever. A Kanye
0: West, Taylor Swift moment, right?
3: <laughs> but, to, but to put these, these numbers into perspective for people, if we stay at like 206,000 or even n- jump it up to 210,000, that means that less than 1.5% of all the applicants are going to get picked. And, and that really makes me question these programs, not their benefit, not how much people need them, but their overall effectiveness, right? Similar to the gas giveaway and every other social safety network that we have, it's never enough. And we already know that people need this money, right? We need decades more social science mm-hmm. research to tell us that when people get extra money, they use it to sustain themselves and their family. And so. I'm not really sure what more we're going to learn from these programs. And so I think we need to to get more innovative at the local and federal level. We need more pilot programs that have a longer time span, right? We need more stimulus checks. We Uh need to enforce stronger corporate taxation and funnel that money into social services. We need to increase wages, universal Right? These pilot programs aren't going to fix generations of, you know, like, uh, uh, wage inequality. And mm-hmm. so, so we need to get bigger and better at this because I feel bad for the hundreds of thousands of people who go through all of the necessary steps to apply. Some people have go to classes to learn how to apply, to be told, no, you didn't get picked for the first one earlier this year. You're not getting picked for this one.
0: Because you have to do it online, right? Right. The the application. Uh, I spoke with uh, Tony Packwinkle last week on Reset, and she was very adamant that this is going to go beyond just being a pilot period, right? So after the two years, they are dedicated to making it permanent. Mm -hmm. Remind us how folks get to be a part of this program. Is it through
3: a lottery? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how any of the lotteries, Illinois, whether it's income pilot, whether it's you can open a weed shop tomorrow, I'm not really sure how they all work. But (laughs) 32, you know, 3,250 people will be picked from the the demographic numbers they've pushed out. A large number of the people who are applying are women. A lot of those are women of color, women who have children, people are ahead of their household. Um, And so we know that the people who are going to get it are going to, to need it. And nine out of 10 times, they're going to use it in a way that helps to, to push their family forward. I saw people saying they wanted to finish community college classes. That'll be extra groceries. That'll mean they can get their car fixed. And so yeah, it, I can't help but feel like dangling money in front of oppressed people who are living up against the, the forces of capitalism and poverty. Like, what more do you need to know? Like, so, so that, that's how I feel mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah.
0: Well, speaking of wages and income, I want to get an update on a story that we've covered here on Reset as well. That's unionization at Starbucks, Ray. Uh, right. Some news about a cafe in Edgewater?
2: Right. A Starbucks in, in Edgewater was, uh, uh, c- announced, announced it's going to close. And it just so happened. Coincidence. I, whether you believe it in or not, uh, I have to question it uh, at this time. Mm-hmm. The workers there were talking about unionizing, and so this is kind of another black eye for Starbucks, which has kind of built itself with this image of a hey, Seattle. We're cool. We're mm-hmm. the big uh, Northwest uh, type of uh, universe that everybody thinks about everybody else. Well that 's not what this kind of uh, signal is is giving people here that it looks like, and um, it it gives the image of whether Starbucks says it is so or not. It gives the image that they 're cracking down on on unionization, mm-hmm. and these are people who are just trying to get a living wage
0: yeah, well, another topic that we 've been talking about on the show is the surge in a scam called check Washing Tina. Thieves were stealing checks in the mail and then chemically erasing the details and then filling in their own details and cashing in. So five people were charged in a crackdown in this scam. Give us the rest of the details there. It's
1: called Operation Broken Arrow, which is a good name for an operation. All
0: right. Um, But
1: it is not just the check washing. It's also burglarizing mailboxes, having keys. So imagine someone just being able to open a mailbox, taking whatever they want. Um, and a lot of people, we pay our bills obviously online or on the phone, or, but there are people who use checks. Um, and so we, a colleague of mine, Dave Stewart, wrote a story about a Southwest Side couple who wrote a $30 check to a school that was erased to $10,000 to some person that they've never met. And it took them a long, wow. long time to get the money back. Um, like I think the bank said six months. I think our reporter contacted the bank and I think that that helped to speed it up. But imagine being out of $10,000. Um, for over six months. My goodness. Um, so it's a big, it's a new thing. Um, it's not a new thing. Rather, it's gotten worse during the pandemic. And I guess there's been about seventeen thousand cases in Illinois so far this year. So wow. it is something that the feds are watching. Is one of the things that they're really kind of trying to get more people on because it's it's scary. It's the yeah. mail should be a trusted situation, and for in sure. this case, it hasn't been.
0: Well, a question from YouTube: Will anyone track how money is spent?
1: For, for with the checks that were stolen,
0: yeah,
1: uh, I think that's how. That's a good question. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I, I think the feds are probably, if they don't have the people who wrote the check, they are probably tracking yeah. the money to see how they can get them.
0: Well, Jacoby, another story. Another a lot of criminal activity has been going on near Wrigley Field over this past week. What's happening?
3: Yeah, from from what I can understand, the there were. I think five or six instances where people were held at gunpoint, instructed to get inside of a waiting car, robbed of their belongings, and then dropped off at another location to which first, I'm glad that all of those people, you know, are, are still here with us, that none of them were, were injured in gunfire, but, but I do as somebody who has been robbed at gunpoint in my life, it's a trauma that doesn't easily wash off of you. It kind of stays with you. I I find myself now to this day still having a a slight level of paranoia that I move with. Um, But one thing that I've tried to do in the, the aftermath is not to cast such a wide net. You know, I, I got to see, I got to look the person in the eyes. In this case, they did not, uh, from what I understand because the descriptions that they've given out have been so broad, something like five, eight to six foot, black guy, 150 <laughs> to 175 Dark pounds. Dark clothing. And while I only meet two of the three of those criteria potentially, um, again, it's, it's very similar to the conversation we were having earlier. You know, I know that people want to feel safe in their community. I know that people don't want to, to, to run up against the risk of losing their life, losing their, their, their valuables. Um, but again, I, I also fear of how we respond mm-hmm. to these situations. And, you know, for the five, eight to six foot black guy, 150 to 175 pounds moving through Wrigley Field, I know there are more eyes on them. Today than there were yesterday or were last week, and there were already plenty of eyes uh as somebody like myself who moved through that neighborhood and so i don 't know where you you know kind of where you you find the balance of making sure people feel safe, whether you know against crime or or, or against being stereotyped um, but but I would just hope that we can find balance and humanity in mm-hmm. this
2: narrative
0: well, Ray, do you think that these kinds of headlines are? Actually going to keep people from going to a Cubs game or visiting well, the bars in Wrigleyville?
2: I think people will be more cautious. I yeah. think there's a, a, a palpable feel in the city right now that people need to um, f- feel better about going out. Uh, they have to now think about whether or not they're going to have an extra wallet to give to the, to the Person who's uh, sticking them up, or uh, whether they uh, just take their ID out instead mm-hmm. of their credit cards or they don't take a purse, or some something like that. And I do think that uh, that uh, we will see, and we've already heard that there's going to be more cops in that area. But it's kind of like whack-a-mole, right? The, so you understand that there is a problem here, and you send a surge of cops where we we're trying to get some kind of balance here to keep it all under control in every neighborhood because yeah. everybody deserves safety. It's a tough, t- tough call. And I don't think it's going to mean there are fewer fans and they go to Cubs games. They go to Cubs games when they're losing. It's incredible. <laughs> well, that's
0: true, too. <laughs> uh, Jacoby, the Obamas. They made a surprise visit to Chicago this week. What were they doing?
2: It is never a
3: surprise for the people who live by their house. Right. <laughs> I stay like three, four blocks away, so it's always very clear uh they're when, coming. when the former president and first lady are in town. Uh, but they were back here to vote, right? Um uh, Michelle Obama, the former first lady, is getting geared up to go on a national book tour. Uh, President Obama is getting ready to go around the country stumping for very vulnerable, uh, candidates in the midterm election. And so they stopped by the super site downtown, uh, to cast their, their early ballots. But they also, um, the former president met with a, a panel of students. IO, the rookie who had an amazing start to the season in the first game against the Heat mm-hmm. was there as well. Uh, and then, uh the first lady Michelle Obama visited with some s- students at the school right across from where the Obama Center is currently being Hyde Park Academy Yeah where the, the Obama Center is currently being constructed for some Obama Foundation events. Uh anytime they come to town I'm always torn. I'm torn with most topics if I haven't overused that phrase oh, already why? <laughs> because on one hand uh the nostalgia of seeing them move and I hope this doesn't come off as ages. I do not mean it. But with the last two administrations, you didn't get the same vibe of life, right? They're not filling out NCAA brackets. They're not, you know, seeing them at the White House get their, their porches up and how cute they were with each other, right? Yeah. You know, that there was always a feeling of despite them being the president and the first lady, there was a false sense of accessibility there, right? We know it's false, but it feels like they were people who can be touched. Right. And so Michelle Obama sitting down with these students to talk about some of the significant moments in her life from facing racism as a child to navigating prestigious institutions, losing her father being the, the first black first lady to, oh. to raise her children in the white house. It, it's so amazing to see that, but I will push back right the other side of the coin, right? The, the first lady says something to the students of, you know, you got to get active. You got to fight for yourself. The people who are out there trying to legislate your life out of, you know, purview, they don't, they don't care about you. They don't see you. And I'll continue to challenge the, the former first family, um, to remember that these are their peers they're talking about, mm-hmm. right? This is their generation that they're talking about. And so beyond just, you know, early voting and political stumps and, and photo ops, you know, I challenge them to, 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 to push back against officials in this city and nationally, because I'd argue black and brown children in Chicago are more police more scrutinized and more disenfranchised than ever before. And so, you know, I I want them to continue to fight and to work tooth and nail to make sure that the sins of their peers, their colleagues and their generations don't to continue to fall on the shoulders of the very children they sit and and kind of uh, powwow with.
0: with, Yeah, very good point. I want to share some good news with you, Tina. Some good news. Girl Scouts are involved. What did they announce?
1: Uh, Mackenzie Scott, who um, she uh, broke has up. Has a lot of money. Has a lot of money. <laughs> <has> <laughs> a lot of time. Lot, I feel bad. Like, that's <laughs> kind of all I know. Yeah. So um, she's aside Jeff Bezos's <laughs> ex, and they split in 2019, and she has pledged to give it all away. She gave $4.2 million to the Girl Scouts. It's Chicago and Northwest Indiana. It's the largest um, contribution they've ever received.
0: $4.2 million.
1: I took a look at her little pledge. She has like a, a website giving pledge, and she says, I will keep at it until the safe is empty. Wow, so, that is a lot of money. Which is which is going to be for so how, how many Girl Scout cookies
0: deep. could four point two million dollars buy? a lot she has, <laughs> she has
1: focused on women's issues um racial equity so she is um thoughtfully thinking of, thoughtfully thinking about where to send her money yeah. thoughtful thoughts <laughs> I bet, they I bet they,
3: that wasn't even her initial plan i think they came to sell her cookies and they talked her out of a 80 million dollar donation she got a truckload of cookies and then she was like i'm gonna actually give to the girl scouts now y'all are real good salespeople. people <laughs> yeah i'm the strongest i've ever seen <laughs>
0: All right. So 30 seconds here. I, I'm going to do quick hits around the room. What are you looking at next week? What are you keeping an eye on? You first, Tina.
1: Uh, I will definitely be on the campaign trail trying to track down Darren Bailey and JB Pritzker. I'll be watching all the money.
0: Why, did I even ask you? All about of course it. that's what you're doing. That's your life till November 8th. Yes. Jacoby.
3: Oh, I mean, at CityCast Chicago, we got some great episodes coming out for people, but to get the week started on a relaxing note, we're going to be looking at some of the best fall hikes mm. um, around Chicago and
2: around Midwest.
0: Sweet. And Ray?
2: Well, I, I'm i going to be looking to see if there's anything in the uh, statewide realm of the politics that I can uh, sink my teeth into, but also, <laughs> speaking of sinking my teeth into, I just bought a Couple of cans of nuts from my favorite Girl Scout, Maggie Ray. So. Hey. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is Chicago Tribune investigative reporter Ray Long, Tina Svondelis of the Chicago Sun Times, and Jacoby Cochran of City Cash Chicago. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. My pleasure.